Welcome to Five Dubs by MDDC Press. I'm your host, Rebecca Snyder, the Executive Director of the Maryland, Delaware, and DC Press Association, which represents news media in our region. Five Dubs focuses on the who, what, when, where, and why of local news media. We'll talk with the journalists about the stories behind the news. You can find more information about our guests in the show notes or on our website, www.5-dubs.com. Good afternoon and welcome to Five Dubs. I'm your host, Rebecca Snyder. And today in the studio, we have Scott Yates, the U.S. Director and Strategic Advisor for the Journalism Trust Initiative. And Natavia Williams, who is MDDC's podcast intern this semester. So welcome to you both. Scott, can you tell us, first off, what is the Journalism Trust Initiative? The Journalism Trust Initiative, by the way, Natavia and Rebecca, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. It's an honor to be here. The Journalism Trust Initiative comes from Reporters Without Borders, which is based in Paris. And the basic idea is that Reporters Without Borders typically defends journalists who are jailed and protests against governments who put them in jail. And a leader of Reporters Without Borders has been very good about saying, you know, just because a journalist is in jail, I I mean, if a journalist is in jail, that's very bad. But there are other kinds of jails that a journalist can be in. if If the economy for the journalism is so bad that the journalist can't do their work. That's another kind of a jail. And so rather than just try to work against those things that are really bad, they decided to try to do some things to help that would be good in the ecosystem and help the overall ecosystem. And the thing that they came up with that I think is really brilliant is deciding to do something that's an actual standard. Now, a a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are familiar with journalism standards, but they're not actually standards the way that we, that the the international standards world thinks of standards. So the Washington Post, for instance, has a well-known set of standards, but those aren't actually standards. Those are just the way that the Washington Post operates. In every other industry, a standard is known as something that when an industry comes together and works with something called the ISO, and has a sanctioned body, that that body comes up, uh, has the ability to come up with a a standard that works uh, throughout an industry. And the idea is it's something that is created by the industry, it's led by the industry, it's not governmental, but it feels a little governmental. And so that's why most journalists have shied away from it through the years. But now the Journalism Trust Initiative, the JTI, actually does have a standard that is out there, it's public, it's uh, able to be used by anybody, and, and then we can talk about the ways that that's going to be implemented. Sure. And it's funny because journalists in general, it's like herding cats often, you know, getting people and and we have this in our own association that we tend to focus on acts of journalism as opposed to defining who or identifying who a journalist is. And so did you have some of that tension or push pull in developing these standards? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had a lot of journalists in the room and journalists are the most skeptical people in the world. And rightly so, that's why they're journalists. And so it's it, it's always been a tricky conversation. And it's why the standard 
doesn't really get into defining, for instance, exactly who is and who isn't a journalist. If you declare yourself a media outlet, then that's fine. That's what you can do in, inside the JTI process. But the other part is that we never, the, the standard doesn't have anything to do with, for instance, is an article true or not? Because that's just, uh, it, it just gets to be a mess. So the standard, it does very boring things that seem very boring on the face and kind of are in a way, but but boring in a good way, I say. I, I would say the boring is a feature, not a bug. So the, the standard do, deals with things like, you know, is do you have transparency of the ownership of the publication? And sometimes it's very specific things. Like if you have sponsored content, do you have a policy that you label the content and that, that you actually follow your own policy about labeling that sponsored content? And if you do, can you show us that policy? So it's stuff like that. It's not it's not, are you telling the truth or who are you? Well, it is who are you, but it's not It's not saying we get to decide that you are or not a journalist or this story is or isn't true. It really is the process of you declaring some things about yourself and making that visible. So really, it sounds like it is a collection of processes, like this is how we approach, and transparency, having a news media organization really talk about like how they approach their work and sort of the values be, or, or how they translate their values into action. Is that fair to say, or am I not quite getting it right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. It's, it's, it is more about the process than about the product. It's, mm-hmm. it's showing what went into the creation of you as a media outlet and not talking about what goes in any individual piece of content. Mm-hmm. So understanding that this came out of European standards and, and looking on the website, and we will have a link to the website in the show notes, but knowing that it came from a European standard, can you talk about how it gets translated to a U.S. market and, and what that's like? Because they're two very yeah, different I'm- continents. <laughs> Yes, yes, they are. And it's, you know, that's my job as the U.S. director. And it's been a real challenge, Uh, especially it was a challenge because we we sort of rolled out the ability to start looking at the beta version of the way that this is going to roll out in October. And it turns out that uh, in October of 2020, a lot of newsrooms were kind of busy with the election. And then the election, you know, in some ways didn't end until January 20th. And so so that's what a little tricky. You're right. Tradition of the open free press, also the technology perspective of having a completely open web. Those are the kinds of things that make people think that the JTI is something that they would be opposed to sort of automatically. And it's only after having conversations like the one we're having right now, where we understand that this isn't about government deciding who is and who isn't a journalist. This is about journalism coming together and strengthening ourselves as a system. You know, one of the things that I think we've learned over the last few years is that journalism is kind of, uh, you know, and I say this with all the love in my heart and as an NYU J school grad, but journalism is kind of a soft target for those who seek to undermine democracy. And and so now I think that we're, we've emerged from all of the crises that, you know, and we still have a lot of them going on, but there is a sense that now we can look at ourselves as an industry and say, what can we do? What can we do collectively that can be helpful? And, and I think the JTI is a, is a big part of that. We can subscribe to an industry-led standard system so that the rest of the world, especially like the platforms and advertisers, that they have a way to be able to tell who is following industry best practices. Mm-hmm. So 
there's so many things I want to I want to delve into here, but let's take a step back and I want to understand what drew you to this work. I know you you went to NYU, you have a strong journalism background, but you also have um, other other interests. So what drew you to this work and how did you get involved? I, I went to NYU J School. I worked as a journalist. I, I then I left journalism a while ago, kind of. I've always had a little bit involved, but I've been a startup guy. I've started three companies. Um, and with my third company, after I actually hired a guy to replace myself as the CEO of that third company. And then um, after that, I was I was doing what I wanted to do, which was sitting on the couch. And, and I got a phone call from a place in, here in Colorado called Cable Labs, which is, it's not very well known it, except inside the industry, but it's kind of like the Bell Labs for the cable industry. So all the cable providers belong to it and they do research for all of the, uh, all of the cable providers. What's important about that is that cable is more than just the cable TV. It's really in a lot of ways the backbone of the internet. And so they asked me to be an entrepreneur in residence with them and help them come up with new ideas. And I said, after a while, I said, hey, you know what you guys should do is try You should do something to fix fake news. And they said, we don't have anything to do with fake news. <laughs> and I said, I know nobody has anything to do with it. That's why it's a problem. But, you know, you guys are the backbone of the Internet more than anybody. And they agreed. And they said, their challenge to me was, you know, do something that's that is sort of our style of doing it, which is a lot of times standards. Like industry standards solve a lot of problems that are out there that a lot of non-technical people like me just are glad that somebody who's technical is taking care of it. Like mm-hmm. if I get a new internet connected toothbrush, I need to know that it's not going to crash my new internet connected garage door opener. And somebody has to take care of that in the background and it, and the people that do that are standards people. So once I was on that path of standards, I discovered this initiative that was coming up from the journalism trust initiative and that they were doing an actual standards process. And so I did everything I could to be supportive of that and continue to be. And then after a while, it sort of made sense for me to be involved with it directly as the U.S. director. But it's something that I believed in before I worked for. And I'm sure I will believe in, you know, until my dying days that this is a, this actually is a good idea for journalism. Sure. Well, and it's it sounds like you just happened to have the need at the same time the solution or a potential solution was being developed. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's right. And so this is coming out of kind of cable and internet in Colorado. Is that or or did you work with media organizations? Sort of what what bubbled up first? In, in yeah, the I, I mean the Cable Labs is actually an international organization, and they represent you know they, they do research on behalf of cable companies around the world. Yeah, I, I mean the standards process that the JTI is going through is you know it's a real standards process. Like I went to a bunch of meetings back when we could travel, back mostly in 2018 and 2019. You know, sitting around windowless conference rooms, you know, like it sounded really glamorous. It's like, oh, you know, you're going to Berlin for a meeting. It's like, yeah, I went to Berlin and I sat in a windowless conference room and talked to a bunch of other journalists. Luckily, everybody in the room was just brilliant and really great to work with. But journalists, people from press councils and press associations, uh, 
advocacy groups, consumer rights advocacy groups, and also the platforms. We had Google and Facebook where were in the room for a lot of the meetings and helped us come up with the standard. So, you know, it was a great process. And, and the actual document we came up with is, it, you know, it's a bunch of clauses and it's a very long PDF. You know, it's not for the faint of heart when you when you look at it with all of the, you know, shalls and shoulds and be, have to be very precise about the language. But, but you know, now we have something that is out there that's a standard that can be adopted by anybody anywhere in the world. So how do people adopt that standard? I know you all are working on a, or I think you had said you were working on a tool to help people walk through the process because let's face it, a 55 page PDF is totally not for the faint of heart. (laughs) That's a little daunting. So how do people kind of incorporate those standards and utilize it? Yeah, I mean, the tool, you know, it will make sense when you see it, but like the example we used earlier about sponsored content, like it'll show you the standard that says, you know, you shall label if you have uh, sponsored content. And then there will just be a question. Do you have a policy about sponsored content? You click yes. Does the policy say that you're always going to publish, you know, the, the fact that it is sponsored? Yes. All right. That's great. If you click no, then a little pop-up is going to come and say, okay, you can answer no, but if you do, you're going to be out of compliance with what the JTI standard recommends. So are you sure you want to do that? And then you go back and click it to yes. So what we're hoping is that part of the process here, and, and we tested this with a bunch of newsrooms around the world, but including around, okay, we did tests, we ran through as a test in uh, my hometown, Denver, but we also did a couple in Texas. We did one in New York and one in DC. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of really reputable newsrooms said, you know, hey, there's some things here like that we haven't totally thought through that we don't have, a, you know, that we don't have as part of our editorial guidelines. And we probably should. Like, it's probably kind of past due for us to have a policy about labeling, you know, content that comes from social media posts. Like, how do we label that? We've never really been consistent about that. So our hope is that as part of going through the process, there, you know, part of it will be like it won't be fun, but it'll be the kind of self-examination that helps you to be on a more sure footing so that when question comes up, you can say, yes, here's what we've done. And and if anybody's interested, they can look at the transparency report, which is the thing that gets created after you go through that tool. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it sounds like it's almost like TurboTax for standards or for news media where it kind of spits out, like, here's your audit and here's, you know, what, uh, here's all the pieces of your puzzle. Is that, am yeah. I getting it right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be that easy. Yes. I, as easy as filling out your taxes. That doesn't sound very good, but, <laughs> but yes, the idea is yes. If we have software that makes it work, we're hopeful that, that that'll make it easy to adopt by lots of people. Also, I want to throw in one other little thing. I hope you don't mind. Um, you know, RSF, as it's known in, by its French, French initials, which is Reporters Without Borders in French, RSF. RSF really has small publications, small media outlets at the heart of what they do. And so it, it might be easy to think, oh, this is only for the big you know, the really big players that already have a standards department. You know, what if my publication is so small? We don't have a standards department. We just have me and we're trying to, and I won't be able to meet the standard because I don't have, for instance, a whole fleshed out set of editorial guidelines. Well, we've got you covered there too. We've written a whole set of editorial guidelines. They're part of the standard. And if you want, what you can do is just say, I adopt these as my editorial guidelines. And by doing so, then you will be in compliance with the JTI standard. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, even if you are just an individual blogger, you, it won't be, 
completely easy, but it is possible for you to fill out the form, fill out what everything you need to do to be able to create your own transparency report. So, and that sounds like you've done so much of the footwork where in many of our smaller newsrooms, people are really just trying to to keep coverage consistent and get out there and, and cover their communities. And all these sort of big picture ideas just seem a little bit out of reach and a little esoteric. So it sounds like you've really created a tool where people can can adopt standards and also understand and translate those standards to their work fairly straightforwardly, yeah. if not easily, all the time. So yeah. You- yeah, I mean, nothing worthwhile comes without effort, but yeah. For sure. Well, I and I wanted to get back to sort of the adoption of this 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 process. I know you've done some pilot testing in various cities and, and states, but how do you see this kind of rolling out into newsrooms across the country? Are you looking at teaming with journalism schools? Or are you going directly to newsrooms? What's what's the plan? Yeah, going directly to newsrooms, talking to people like the MDDC, you know, Press Association. Here we are. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think once we get a few of them in and they see that the process, you know, and, and also, honestly, once we work the kinks out for our process so that we make the software as uh, accessible as possible, I think that we will then be in a spot where journalists will see, you know, newsrooms will see that this is something that's useful for them to do. And then also, you know, once we get kind of a critical mass, I think it'll be something that platforms and advertisers will look at. You know, there's a lot of journalism grants that are being made these days, and we're really hopeful that the kind of thing that you provide in answering the questions and then building a transparency report, that that's the kind of thing that funders will be looking at also. And so part of the conversation we think in the future will be that funders will have as a threshold, if you want to apply for a journalism kind of grant, that you at least meet the threshold of meeting the JTI standard, and then you would be in consideration after that. But as as a step in between that, I think it will be a great addition to any grant application to be able to say, here's our transparency report to show how we are conforming to international industry-led standards about how about what's involved in quality journalism creation. Mm-hmm. And so here in the U.S., it sounds like you're still kind of in the nascent stages of finalizing the tool and getting all the, the pieces uh, publicized. What's progress looking like in the EU? Um, is it a firmly adopted standard at this point, or is are you still kind of developing there as well? Yeah, I mean, the standard itself is adopted, and that's not exactly written in stone. It's, I mean, it's pretty much written in stone. Like, we'd have to convene a whole other plenary to be able to adjust any of the language at this point. The adoption in terms of the beta tester, beta testing is probably a little bit uh, further along in Europe, uh, just because there's a little bit more familiarity with the process and familiarity with RSF and that sort of thing. We've also done some testing in Africa, uh, and we've done too much yet in Asia, uh, got some good progress in Canada. So, you know, it's it's the standard itself is done, but the process of getting it out to the world, we're really just going to be rolling it out here really in the coming months. You you're you get credit, Five Dubs Podcast, for being uh, the first podcast to be talking about this, uh, talking about the JTI. Well, and we're excited to do it. It sounds like it has a lot of potential and also that it's being rolled out in a lot of different places. It's not like it's totally set over in the EU and just kind of coming to the shores. It's a developing process throughout the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I wanted to get back to the the trust aspect of it. And you had, I was looking on the website and some of the reasons why the trust initiative is in play is really to kind of combat against fake news and the false equivalency in reporting that pervasive right now. How do you think those, the standards of the project really does combat fake news and the idea of false equivalency? Just to be clear, it won't be perfect. It won't, it won't fix everything overnight. It, you know, it's going to solve sort of some of the problems that get around the edge of it. And then also just build up a, a stronger infrastructure underneath so that the journalism that's built on top of the JTI will be able to be more robust, whether it's in dealing with uh, nonprofit funders or whether it's dealing with platforms or dealing with advertisers. You know, I mean, I think the main thing is like, there's not going to be, you know, if you fill out the JTI questionnaire that, you know, you're going to get a check for $100 or $1,000 a month later, it's really, it's really about, uh, it's sort of like exercising as a way to stay healthy. You don't get the benefit necessarily the next day. I mean, you know, I don't, you get, some people like exercise, but it, it's overall, the idea is that it's just going to strengthen you. And, and it's really not even like exercise. It's more like, I, I mean, maybe it's like voting. It's something that's good to do for you, but it's also good to do for the, the overall ecosystem and for mm-hmm. the overall environment. And so participating in this is a way of participating in a overall system. And the more participation there is, the better it is. Well, and one of the things we've been focusing on in the past, you know, year or two, the press association is ways to communicate out to the general population about what journalism is. You know, there's there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of disinformation uh, about the effort and standards and responsibilities in journalism. And it sounds like you're kind of working in that same in that same vein with these standards. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's really a point. It's not, you know, there, there's not a magic bullet that helps the population understand exactly how journalism works, and there's not a magic bullet that's going to fix all of the disinformation crisis. There's just things that you need to do overall, you know, individually and as an industry. And if you do all those things over time, then things get better. Yeah. As we as we sort of wind down, I wanted to check in with you. You had mentioned a tool that. Sounds like it's in development. Maybe in the next couple months will be up. Could yes. you share with us where to find more information about that, or how to how to get in touch with the initiative? Yeah, uh, I mean, right now it's just the site, which I uh, maybe you saw, just jti-rsf.org, and uh, the the tool itself will have will definitely have a link to it from that. It may have a different URL. You know, stay tuned to that website for more. And and you can also just sort of follow along. The RSF has a bunch of good Twitter accounts. The the US part of RSF has a has its own Twitter account. You could follow that one. Mm-hmm. And well, we'll have to have you back to walk us through that tool I, uh, when uh, when it comes in into development. That'll be maybe in the fall. Is that what I understood? No, we we should have it in a couple months. We should have it. Uh, you know, the, there's a couple little hurdles to get over, but you know, it should be April. We should have something that. Uh, people can use. And and really, if anybody hears this now and really wants to be part of the pilot and kind of get an early glimpse and be able to take a look at it, I think it's okay for me to put my email on the podcast. Oh, sure. Just, Go for it. Yeah. S-Y-A-T-E-S, 
at rsf.org. You know, feel free to send me a note. Agree that we can. We're happy to include other participants in the beta testing part of this. Maybe a little bit harder now because some of the bugs may not be worked out. But on the other hand, you'll be at sort of the forefront of what's going on. You can. It'll be a little bit of bragging rights to say that you've got the first transparency report for you know, your state or your region or whatever it is. And also it'll just be that much easier once it becomes official. Absolutely. No, that sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with or, or sum up? No, I, I think it's great. I, I mean, the thing I, th- I guess that we've learned is the importance of local news and, and your members are the absolute heart of that. And I just want to do whatever I can to strengthen that. And I know that kudos to you at, with, association and really kudos to all of your members for doing you know doing the hard work that needs to be done every day well thank you i mean it, our our members really do sustain and support communities in in so many ways and connecting citizens to information is just critical in this environment and the trust that communities have in local journalism is is very impressive so thank you for supporting that and helping us spread the word about the importance of local media and the important part of the journalism trust initiative so thank you and we will have you back again when your tool is live and maybe you can show us uh in maybe a webinar format matt um you can show us around so yeah, thank and, you. There, and there should be some training, uh, you know, there will be some training available and there, there'll be lots of FAQs and how-tos and that sort of thing too. So it shouldn't be the hardest thing in the world, but yes, but always happy to come back. I always love talking to journalists and anybody associated with journalism. It's always the highlight of my day. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. All right. And I think that's a wrap then. Thanks for listening to Five Dubs with Rebecca Snyder. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts so that others can find us. What do you want to know about local journalism? Email me at rsnyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at mddcpress.com. Interested in supporting our podcast and journalism? Please donate to our 501c3 Press Foundation. Find out more and see the full episode list and show notes at www.5-dubs.com.